The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife, save the environment, save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with Ellie Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning, this is Ellie Weiss, and welcome to Our Wild World. I'm going to take a moment to thank and remind our amazing global audience for listening to this program. I'm taking a moment to say hello to our listeners in more than 200 countries on every continent across our world. From Kazakhstan to Beijing to the Philippines, China and Japan, to you out there across the African continent, the United Arab Emirates and the Russian Federation, from the north to the south of the European Union and the European continent. And I guess I now need to include the United Kingdom, Britain, since Brexit. So, the entire goal of this program and Wild Eyes Foundation is to help disseminate critical information of the gathered and combined knowledge, experiences, research, and data from folks around the earth of diverse backgrounds and expertise in the combined woven warp and woof of what makes up our world, helping us to understand that our world is not just about us people, humans, that our wild world depends upon us, people, making the best decisions possible to ensure that this ecosystem called Earth maintains its functions, that we now know that a lot of the reductionist tinkering with systems and species and their landscapes and habitats is having a tremendous ramifications and consequences that are putting everything about life as we know it at risk. But there are also many people out there working to move this paradigm shift toward a one health and whole visionary view that is required to now face the multitude of challenges this earth and every one of us, and by default that means every other living thing that inhabits this planet, whether we're thinking or caring about them or not. From the tiniest bacteria, insect, or disease, the micro to the mega marine life and terrestrial life. And we, humans, are just one of those species, but are now the deciding factor of what lives and what dies in the future of not just our life on Earth, but the life of Earth herself. What we do to this web affects us all, right now today, in your backyard or across the oceans. Each of these moments are a bead along the necklace of time. Tomorrow, five years, decades. In recent years, it has become ever more apparent to each of us the effects of the rapid changes our world has undergone. Exponential increases in an unchecked human population growth to resource wars. Without water and without the skin of this earth, soil, and everything it is comprised of, 
is at risk, with whether you want to choose to believe in scientific data or pretend it's not happening, the world has changed. Just ask your grandma. Just look at our youth. Look at our value systems, our measure of wealth and success. It is not the same planet it was 50, year go, 50 years ago in its very core functions, let alone in the number of species and habitat losses and extinctions and climate change in the cultural and economic shifts we have in place that we call the cost of doing business. That's why Wild Eyes is sending a team of approved observers to CITES. This approved status for organizations or individuals attending must be gained by the member parties of each nation. For us, that is the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. To gain that first step of approval, Wild Eyes had to prove that we fulfill both the mission of the United States Fish and Wildlife Service and that of CITES and the conservation goals set out by the various agencies, the IUCN, International Union of Conservation, Traffic, and UNEP, the United Nations Environment Education Program. Once USF approved our Wild Eyes representative observers, we further required approval from the CITES Secretariat in Geneva, signed off by the Secretariat himself, Mr. John Scanlon. So, what's my point here? Wild Eyes has a team of experienced conservationists from a variety of backgrounds at CITES right now. We will be interviewing and filming various speakers, presenters, news and happenings, making it available to you, our listeners, and the world at large via this program, through social media, our website, and our newly launched Parallel and Digital Realm Movement for Change, the Wild Eyes Revolution, a multifunctional digital platform bringing you deep field content, film, and interviews. Be sure to stay tuned to our Facebook pages, Twitter, Voice America TRN, Instagram and Pinterest for the What's Happening at CITES. I urge you to also check out the CITES and COP17 websites on these various platforms as well. Why? Because the future of our wild world is at stake. The decisions made at CITES will affect everyone, everything, everywhere, and how we, people, make decisions of what we will allow to be traded. This convention is supposed to take science and data research into account, that we somehow, quote and unquote, measured and quantified all life on Earth so that we can have it when we want it and there's a price on it for zoos, for research, for fun, or to kill. It's supposed to be taking into account that we are now much more aware of the sentience of life as we know it, that there are certain behaviors that we people participate in that are deeply changing and affecting how the world, and that this complex biological sphere called Earth functions. Oh my, what grand illusionists we are. Ah, uh, I digress. So... As I get to the point, just what is CITES and why is it so important? It stands for the Convention on International Trained Trade in Endangered Species of Wild Fauna and Flora. It is an international agreement between governments. Its aim is to ensure that international trade in specimens of wild animals and plants does not threaten their survival. Species may be put on one of three lists called appendices. Appendix 1 affords the most protection, and Appendix 3 the least. Yes, folks, 
We people who want to trade in planetary life will decide the future of who lives, who dies, and why, because CITES and trade in species, alive or dead, is all about human wants and desires, hopefully with some good scientific data and compassion tossed in, but that's a difficult one to predict these days. So, here's a brief history. CITES was drafted as a result of a revolution in Resolution, sorry, I wish it was a revolution. CITES was drafted as a result of a resolution adopted in 1963 at a meeting of members of IUCN, the World Conservation Union. The text of the convention was finally agreed at a meeting of representatives of 80 countries in Washington, D.C., in the United States, on the 3rd of March, 1973. And on the 1st of July, 1975, CITES was entered in force. The original of the convention was deposited with a depository government in the Chinese, English, French, Russian, and Spanish languages, each version, version being equally authentic. CITES is an international agreement to which states, countries, adhere voluntarily. States that have agreed to be bound by the convention joined CITES are known as parties. Although CITES is legally binding on the parties, in other words, they have to implement the convention, it does not take the place of national laws. Rather, it provides a framework to be respected by each party, which has to adopt its own domestic legislation to ensure that CITES is implemented at the national level. For many years, CITES has been, has been among the conservation agreements with the largest membership, now at 183 parties. Correct me if I'm wrong, it might be a few more. So, widespread information nowadays about the endangered status of many prominent species, such as the tiger, rhino, and elephants, might make the need for such a convention seem obvious. But in the 1960s, when the ideas for CITES were first formed, international discussion of the regulation of wildlife trade for conservation purposes was something relatively new. With hindsight, the need for CITES is very, very clear. Annually, international wildlife trade is estimated to be worth billions of dollars and to include hundreds of millions of plant and animal specimens. The trade is diverse, ranging from live animals and plants to a vast array of wildlife products derived from them, including food products, exotic leather goods, wooden musical instruments, timber, tourist curios, and medicines. Levels of explo exploitation of some animal and plant species are high, and the trade in them, together with other factors such as habitat loss, is capable of heavily, heavily depleting their populations and bringing even some species close to extinction. As we see in hindsight, we have brought many species to extinction. Many wildlife species in trade are not endangered, but the existence of an agreement to ensure the sustainability of trade is important to order in order to safeguard these resources for the future. Because the trade in wild animals and plants crosses borders between countries, the effort to regulate it requires international cooperation to safeguard certain species from over-exploitation. CITES was conceived in the spirit of such co cooperation. Today, it accords varying degrees of protection to more than 35,000 species of animals and plants, whether they are traded dead 
or as live specimens, fur coats, or dried herbs. All trade is allowed unless it can be shown to be serious det detrimental, seriously detrimental to conservation efforts. So, hopefully you can see the abundance of conundrums, oxymorons, paradoxes, and dilemmas here, as our current world is a very different world from that in 1963, and thus why, in our current unstable, chaotic, and diminishing wild habitats, this 17th Convention of the Parties of CITES is extremely critical. It is also very important to underscore that CITES is a trade organization, not a conservation organization, with emphasis on the successful regulation of trade in endangered species, not in stopping trade. And that right there, my friends, is the crux of the dilemma we are up against. Politics, money, business, and globalization. All the benchmarks we currently define as health and wealth are at stake as it often is very difficult to prove what constitutes a viable population. How many do we have, and in what circumstances will trade be allowed to continue, and why? So what does this mean for elephants, as an example? A heck of a lot. As Cynthia Moss, Ambicelli Trust for Elephants, states, the African elephant is currently split-listed. That is, all populations across Africa are on Appendix 1. That means, what that means is the Appendix 1 countries cannot trade in ivory or any other products of elephants, such as feet, hair, or skin, nor can there be a trade in live elephants. However, in Botswana, Namibia, South Africa, and Zimbabwe, elephants are listed on Appendix 2. The Appendix 2 countries can trade with certain regulations, although there is currently a moratorium on ivory. However, export of live elephants is allowed in Zimbabwe, for example, has been sending dozens of wild-caught elephant calves to zoos in China over the last few years, a so-called deal that will eventually see dozens of elephants, elephant calves captured and sold to China, starting in 2014 and until 2020, six years, along with various other species to most likely end up in either breeding farms or Chimlong Zoo, where it is documented that they are not doing so well, and as we speak today, 30 more elephants have been captured in Zimbabwe and are pending shipment. They are being sequestered under questionable circumstances. Previous episodes of Our Wild World with Johnny Rodriguez, Nick Lynch, Jane High, and a few other of our guests have commented and spoke to this. And today we have a wonderful pleasure of having Nick join us. So he'll be here in just a few more minutes because I'd like to finish a little more information background on CITES. At this upcoming meeting in Johannesburg, a proposal, it, it's some good news, is that Kenya's delegation has put forward the proposal to uplist all elephant populations to Appendix 1. All elephant populations. African, Savannah, Forest, Indian, Indonesian, Sri Lanka, Asian, you name it. All elephant populations. No trade whatsoever. No ivory, which, of course, a great number of national and international orgs approve of and are working hard for its acceptance at COP17. But 
let's not forget the opposition to this, the hunting lobbies and both the private and national interests in consumptive utilization, decisions as to both short and long term of its viability as whether it is sustainable or not. So right here and now, this is the launch of our Wild Eyes Revolution and its team as we further discuss just how sticky all this can be. As I said a minute ago, joining me today is our CITES observer, conservationist Nick Lynch. You can uh, listen to Nick on previous episodes of Our Wild World and you can see why I'm so thrilled to have him be a part of the Wild Eyes team. Joining me today is... uh, uh, Nick, and he's coordinating our PR, media, and strategy, and is on the ground at CITES. Also joining us a little later on in the show is Wild Eyes of, excuse me, Wild Eyes Observer Tim Gorski, founder of Rattle the Cage Productions. Our two organizations are collaborating to provide film documentation of a variety of the proceedings. Observers, attendees at CITES, from governmental to non-governmental, will provide I'm sorry, I'm tripping over my tongue. We, here on Our Wild World and through the Wild Eyes Revolution, will provide a wide scope of perspectives on all the issues. On the ground with Tim is Wild Eyes Observer Kathy Cooper, our field producer and manager, and then our fourth observer team member is conservationist Nigel Kuhn, logistics and field coordinator. In his regular life, Nigel is his managing director at the Kariba Conservation Program in Zimbabwe and owner and operator of Dusty Rhodes Photography and Film. We're going to take a little break and then Nick is going to join us and uh, we're going to discuss some of the heavy issues that are coming up at CITES. So stick with us. We'll be right back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. And welcome back. This is Ellie Weiss, Our Wild World, and we are talking CITES, the Convention of Parties, number 17, happening right now in Johannesburg. And our team members, the Wild Eyes Revolution team, and our official observers, Tim Gorski, Nick Lynch, Kathy Cooper, and Nigel Kuhn will all be reporting on the course of events. And as I'd said earlier, we'll be making deep field information available through the launch of our parallel website, The Wild Eyes Revolution. But joining us right now with some uh, deep insight is Nick Lynch. So welcome, Nick. G'day, Ellie. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's uh, so exciting to talk to you. I mean, I, by now you guys have settled in a little bit. You've been on the ground for a few days. Things must really be hopping. And yeah. hopefully we're, we're finding some semblance of, uh, oh, could we call it a plan? But this is Africa. You know, sounds like a plan. So you've got some, uh, being from Zimbabwe, you've got some deep background to impart. And uh, about Zimbabwe's past, current, and uh, political situations, and how that relates to Zimbabwe's and some other uh, rather disconcerting contemporary conservation's uh, agendas. So, Nick, first let's give our audience a general idea of how many proposals are on the table at CITES this year, and perhaps a couple of executive summaries. Maybe we could just do briefly touch on lion, rhino, and elephant. And if you could translate those summaries into some layman's terms so our audience gets the general idea. And then you and I are going to go a little deeper into some of the behind-the-scenes uh, – I don't know if I want to call it machinations, but goings-on uh, – on the playing field that a lot of people may not be aware of that will affect CITES decisions. So let's start with um, Lion. <laughs> right. Well, as you said, uh, in fact, there's about 62 different proposals uh, that are up on the table for discussion um, between the 24th of September through to the 5th of October. So there's everything under the sun being discussed, everything from sharks to rays, which are apparently quite big and a hot topic this year, um, through to lion and elephant and, and the more contentious ones. I think I think what makes this, um, this CITES kind of interesting is that we have sort of three or four big stories all sort of culminating in one, in one location and certainly... Um, in Africa's case, rhino, elephant, and lion are, are, the, are the three biggies um, that are going to gain the most uh, international attention. Um, and yes, as you mentioned earlier on, uh, you know, regional politics 
um, play quite a significant role in this at this particular CITES. And it's not um, uh, it, it's uh, it's convoluted, but it's not impossible to actually follow. And uh, and I think in some ways it's actually I suppose exciting to follow CITES from um, from this kind of perspective. Um, but like on the lion front, uh, it's interesting to see. You know, so actually, Ellie, I was going to say, you know, one thing about this one thing that I've uh, kind of picked up on by looking at CITES more closely this last month or so is this this kind of feeling of dread that we're dealing with a treaty which is all about trading living entities, beings, and it's it seems like it's almost. Um, dispassionate and yet necessary. And it's actually good that we're covering the history of, of, of CITES, as you mentioned earlier on, and trying to demystify it. I think there are a lot of people out there kind of expect the world of CITES. And I'm, I've certainly, I'm not a fan of CITES as well. Um, you know, I, I don't think anyone who knows me will claim that I'm a massive fan of CITES. I think that it, it needs severe tweaking at the very least. Um, well, let me step in here a minute. You know, at yeah. the last Jackson Hole Wildlife Film Festival, um, excuse me, in 2015, that Tim and I were both at, it was based around the Elephant Summit. And uh, it was hugely important. It was very intense. And a lot of people are not liking CITES. All you have to do is look at Facebook and see all the contentious comments that are going on. But if we listen to, let's say, Adam Roberts uh, on one of our previous shows, I think it was of Elsa, Cecil, and... Uh, other animals, he did give us a good explanation from that perspective, born free, of what CITES is for us right now. Right now, it is the only international body that has a management tool in place. I think the dissatisfaction with CITES over these last, let's say, 10 years has become because it's outdated and it's outmoded. And as I had said earlier, it has not changed with the times, uh, and the times are a diminished world, species like lion, rhino, and elephant, and so many more that are not charismatic, that are either have reached their tipping point or are collapsing. So um, I think you'll tell us a little bit about the great elephant census and, uh, and, and what it means to society. So hopefully, I think what we're all looking for this year is a wake-up call that CITES will be responsive to the changing world and that the member parties who once again it is voluntary will not play politics and will actually take this living earth system that we all depend upon at its core value and understand what's at stake. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think um, I mean, as far as like uh, conservation world or con world as, as I like to call it, um, <laughs> Uh, I think as Conworld, is, uh, is, as far as it's concerned, there's a lot of undercurrents in the background about speculating about which way CITES might, um, might, might steer itself uh, after this meeting uh, because there's been a lot of questions about, like, well, you know, CITES needs to develop more teeth in some way or have some ability to coordinate better between the, the um, IUCN and, and other bodies in order to to do better transnational wildlife crime management and all that kind of thing. So are um, you talking about a little more focus on the enforcement side. I think so. I think there's a general feeling from from uh, from various quarters, of, uh, from various organisations. It's more about uh, wanting, uh, necessitating better cooperation and communication between those law enforcement bodies that are around around the world in place at the moment. 
um, and it, it does it gets complicated f- uh, for those guys and, and and of course you know you're right you're talking about this, this frustration that's out there in con world uh, to do with CITES and that's universal and that's something that's quite amazing to me I mean I know in my campaigning over the last couple of years um, I was I was stunned I always knew that CITES had a bit of a a contentious sort of um, reputation, uh, but I, I actually had to go and meet uh, a senior conservation guy in Australia, um, at, um, and we and we got talking about the elephant crisis thing going on from Zimbabwe, and um, as I ran down the the facts as we knew them at the time, I got to the bit about the CITES uh, certification and how that had all uh, happened. And um, he leaned back in his seat and he rolled his eyes in the back of his head and, and, he, and he muttered the C word. And I was quite taken aback. I mean, this guy's quite a senior guy. And I sort of went, I beg your pardon. And he sort of said it again. He sort of went, there are a bunch of, you know, what? And I thought, my goodness, this is amazing. This is a senior, senior guy. And he's basically got the same opinion about CITES as the tambourine-banging dreadlock guy on the front lines who hates them. And now, when you've got that level of uniformity and in, in, in uh, dissatisfaction in the treaty uh, from right across the, the realm of, of the conservation world, uh, uh, then there's a, there's a problem. And, and here's the odd thing. It's not just from the um, Animal Rights League that that pressure has come from. Uh, even in this recent, amazingly enough, in this uh, build-up to the CITES, we've got pressure from the hunting fraternity and, and from the countries that are pro-hunting. Uh, even threatening to pull out of of the CITES um, a treaty if if things don't go their way. So, in other words, effectively promising uh, a, a big dust up, a big problem. Well, uh, maybe I should in- interject something here because something new that happened over 2015 is that okay for IUCN, the International Convention on uh, endangered species the the international conservation union sorry um they have members and there is a membership fee let's say and we know what fees pay for on these big organizations so that they can get their work done but a surprising twist was that dallas safari club and safari club Inter- international became voting members on the IUCN. So this is a scary turn of events. That's almost so behind the Safari Club International and the Safari Companies, you have, as you just said, these huge hunting lobbies. And they are backed by big money. We're talking the NRA and cartels, a little shady business going on um, because in the wild and legal and illegal wildlife trade, there is a lot of investment to, you know, to ensure that CITES doesn't get teeth. So um, let's... Let's let's start here. So we, we gave a little look at Zimbabwe. We're going to get back into that a little deeper and um, into the next couple sections here. And uh, let's just talk about quickly the canned hunting lion uh, proposals that are, as you said, South Africa, which is managed and has a lot of hunting in the other hunting countries. Let's do a quick little synopsis of uh, lion hunting on the table. Um, and let's sure. realize we're talking about import and export of trophies. We're not talking problem animals. We're talking um, trophy kills. Yeah, uh, I think there's a move, especially after this recent um, IUCN meeting in Hawaii, to a proposal to sort of uh, basically bring to an end uh, 
the canned lion hunting aspects, that's going to go up against the grain against South Africa because it's a big uh, money earner for them. Um, but who knows? I think that the lion thing and the rhino thing are going to be quite big for uh, for South Africa in particular this year. Um, and and basically, it's I think even amazingly enough, even the professional. Um, Hunters Association of South Africa, um, they call them some something else, but it's the, it's the professor. Yeah, those guys. Even those guys have actually got behind the ICN and sort of, get, yeah, you know, we, we agree with this. I think it's because it is such a clearly deplorable <coughs> activity. Having and said a lot that, happened in 2015 and early 2016 about can hunting. And once again, listeners, go back to our series on canned hunting with Chris Mercer, Donnelly Patman, Ian Mickler, Blood, Lions, and then on top of it all, Cecil the Lion, who no, everyone knows who Cecil is, and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife decision to uplist lions once again in that sticky wicket between Appendix 1 and Appendix 2. In some places you can hunt them, and in some places you cannot. The overriding uh, language is to the benefit of conservation. We can kill them if it benefits conservation. And of course that opens up the whole argument of killing for conservation, that it works, and then a lot of data saying that it doesn't. So um, basically canned hunting is, I, I think it's it's going to be interesting because the uh, CITES is in Johannesburg, South Africa, and that's where canned hunting takes place outside of Texas in the United States. So um, let's go on to just a brief synopsis of uh, what of what's going on with elephant listing listing or um, should we bypass that and go straight up to rhino horn trade? <laughs> which one is the which one is the least uh, the least contentious? Well, uh, I don't know if we should. We're probably going to be de- devoting entire episodes coming up, folks, uh, and then yeah. of course deep field information on the Wild Eyes Revolution website. But mm. rhino horn trade is a biggie, so uh, let let's yeah. go right there. Uh, the rhino horn one, I think, is a very intricate one, um, and we have uh, long, long-standing arguments and debates between the pro-traders and those who are against trade. Um, those who are for trade are arguing that uh, their ability to commercially capitalize on the rhino horns allows them to be able to carry on effectively farming them, protecting them on their farms. Um, but In- here, incentive. Incentives, yes, indeed. It's all about economic incentives at the end of the day. Um, and the, the the rhino horn farmers, the predominant, they're mostly from South Africa, led by uh, by their head guy called John Hume, um, are pushing to to be able to have legalized trade. Um, and this but, trade is not only in dehorned rhinos, which has become a very big practice, and um, then hunting legal hunting of rhinos. So, just to clarify again, you don't have to kill a rhino to get the horn. Uh, they can be dehorned, and that product, I suppose, could be commodified and traded as long as it's managed. And I think there's the conundrum. Um, elephant ivory, on the other hand, you cannot take ivory from a live elephant. So um, it pre- it presents between Appendix 1, Appendix 2, and hunting and all the emotional uh, responses that go along with that in terms of what you said a little while ago, uh, the sentience of the non-human life that we live with. So um, the trade in rhino horn is a biggie because South Africa holds 
about 75% of the world's rhino, but all, most of the rhino in South Africa are bred by ranchers, farmers. And it should point it, and it should be pointed out that it's these the, the, these rhino are mostly on properties that are off limits to the public. So therein you start to come across this uh, the next sort of debate up the le- up the ladder is the obvious one of okay what constitutes as real conservation and and at what point does the state's responsibilities fall away and the private sector takes over is it is it not the state's responsibility to at least ensure they do have uh, the, you know, rhino running around in the national parks <laughs> um, and you yeah. know and wild rhino in free ranging places yeah. such as Kenya. Tanzania, uh, mm. Namibia, Botswana, and also the uh, Indian rhino, Asian rhino. We don't have a whole lot of time. In fact, we have to cut to a break again. So we do want to get a little into Nick's ability to um, fill us in on a little of the politics. And then Tim Gorski is going to join us to fill us a li- in on uh, the politics of China. So we need to cut to a break right now. And then we're going to come back and pick this up. And Nick's going to fill us in with some really interesting background. So stick with us. We'll be right back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big. Scary. Beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. 
If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. And welcome back to our wild world and my guest, Nick Lynch. And joining us now is Tim Gorski. We're talking CITES. Before the break, Nick was talking about some of the rhino issues on the table. And to help us understand how member nation politics do come into play, Nick, give us some local perspective of the political impacts. Yeah, well, on the the CITES is particularly interesting from a political point of view because you can see a lot of the the sort of SADC member states that are closely aligned from the previous liberation movements, uh, they are going to vote for each other in a, in a favorable way. At the moment, Zimbabwe's got its back up against the wall. It's the, the leading front force in a big push by South Africa, Botswana, uh, Namibia, Zimbabwe, uh, to try and legalize ivory trade for them. Uh, this is contrary to the logic of uh, prior sales of ivory having led to massive increases in poaching. Uh, so you can't actually uh, divorce the political stuff from, uh, from the elephant stuff in this, in this particular instance. Uh, Zimbabwe's current political situation is, is tied to that. Uh, from from the, the rhino side of things, you know, I think one of the phrases to look out for over this, uh, over this um, CITES is going to be greenwashing. Uh, which is what the pro-traders are being accused of, uh, you know, sort of fixing it to make it look like what they're doing is real conservation. And, of course, that becomes a, a, a new type of debate. Um, but uh, also the other big thing, of course, is, is Vietnamese and Chinese demand uh, for rhino horn, understanding the differences of that. A lot of the anti-trade people uh, have pointed out that the pro-trade guys might not have the right amount of uh, uh, marketing research. So China become, becomes a, a key player, of course, as always. And uh, they seem to want to make the right moves, but they're backing some of the funnier horses. And the, again, they've got an un- unsure horse to bet on in Zimbabwe. You have a bit more information on some of how the different factions going on in Zimbabwe, which is rather chaos right now. And it is one of the countries where elephants and much of its wildlife is listed as Appendix 2. So a lot of the proposals, as we discussed earlier in the program, are going to be about closing some of these loopholes in domestic trade, which is the African range states and other uh, countries that do still trade, illegal trade in rhino horn and ivory. So it's very convoluted, and this is what we're going to be covering uh, over the next several episodes and through our website, The Wild Eyes Revolution. So you're really going to want to stay tuned to that. So, Nick, you gave a give us just a little bit more background of some of the um, parties at play here and how it might affect some of the goings on. Uh, yeah, sure. Well, actually, funny enough, you talked about how convoluted the, the rhino horn thing might be. It's almost science fictional on some level. I mean, we have uh, the, the, the sudden and strange aspect of 3D printing of fake uh, rhino horn or counterfeit rhino horn. And uh, the company in the United States called Pembient, uh, having had the process stopped uh, from South Africa by Alison Thompson, who's, who's a person we'll be talking to, um, who heads up a, thing, uh, a group called Outraged uh, Citizens Against uh, poaching OSCAP, in fact, the acronym is. Um, 
so you know that's a weird adjunct to the whole story about how it's almost like something out of uh, Minority Report, where now uh, the treaty has to be cognizant of how to try and regulate a counterfeit product which is made from 3D printing. Uh, it's very science fictional. Um, and it also it brings up the whole question of who's benefiting when we talk about wildlife paying for itself. Here we have a U.S. company with a patent that we don't know whether they're really invested in conservation or business for profit. And then the whole concept of chi and wildness and the spirit of the wild. So there's a lot of things going on at play here. And then also, um, I believe you talked in previous episodes about Zimbabwe's um, oh mantle or their motto that they are overpopulated with wildlife mm. and cash-strapped. Yes, indeed. Well, you know, it, 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 it gets very complicated. Uh, we've got Zimbabwe's um, environment minister, Opobo Chinguri, who's been lobbying the Southern African development community quite hard uh, and has been quoted recently as saying uh, that it's time for SADC to come up uh, with a regional solution as it carries the burden of wildlife overpopulation uh, due to its good conservation methods. And this you can almost get this sort of... Uh, Eastern Bloc propaganda kind of way of delivering the, uh, the, the preferred interpretation of the facts. This idea of overpopulation of elephants in Zimbabwe is contested, uh, and also the recent elephant census uh, results don't necessarily tie in exactly with the official line of how many elephants are in the country. Uh, but the country is basically up against the wall economically and is looking to convert its natural resources into cash to sustain itself. And this has led to the misery of... Uh, uh, the, the misery of the, the, the current news of 500 baby elephants on order to supply to China. And we're going to be covering that very soon with Johnny Rodriguez and give you all the up-to-date details on what's going on right now in Zimbabwe while we cover what's going on in at CITES. So this is a great lead-in, uh, and welcome, Tim. It's nice to have you back. Hello, Ellie. Hello. So Tim and his co-producer, Kathy Cooper, are the... Um, <laughs> Second and third members of our Wild Eyes observers, along with Nigel Kuhn, who is um, a conservationist and works in Zimbabwe. So we'll be hearing from Nigel as time goes on. But Tim, from previous episodes on this program, you'll understand that he has a pulse on Asia. And he's got long experience on the wildlife trade and markets uh, throughout Asia. So Tim, help us and our listeners understand how to shift our perspective perspective on contemporary China and share with us your insights and some thoughts as it may well affect what some of the outcomes are at CITES. Sure. Um, you know, most of my experience comes from actually living in Asia for the last 10 years. So it's, it's very observational and, and being uh, more or less entrenched in the cultures in Southeast Asia and, and now China. We, we in the West, and I still call myself a Westerner, I'm from America, um, we love to, you know, vilify the country that is uh, creating a high demand for for rhinos and elephants and other species and pangolins across uh, across Africa, and it's kind of hard to separate out the the people from the government, um, the different regions, the different lifestyles of China. China is so vast and diverse. And then the rest of, you know, Eastern Asia and Southeast Eastern Asia, the cultures are so vast and diverse that it's really hard to just target 
and say, China, you are the villain, or Vietnam, you are the villain, because the reality is there's only a couple percent of the people in China or Vietnam are actually consuming these animals. China, that just so happens that the population is so large, and they now have 400 billionaires in China, that the, the demand is, is very high within a small uh, demographic. But there's also some really, really good news coming out of China as well. Now, before I even get into that, I think, I think we need to kind of look in the mirror sometimes as Americans or Europeans or Westerners, and we need to realize that, uh, okay, China is being accused of pilfering uh, African wildlife, uh, and, and they are, it's true. But America has been pilfering Asian wildlife for hundreds of years. And in the past decades, it's been growing uh, exponentially. For instance, we can bring up just one particular animal, uh, the Southeast Asian newts. Uh, newts are collected all over Southeast Asia and China to be sold to America for the pet trade for collectors of exotic reptiles. So I just kind of wanted to bring that up so we'll put things into perspective that while we talk about 200 elephants being shipped to China or, you know, however many uh, thousands of tons of uh, rhino horn being shipped to Vietnam, we've got hundreds of thousands of reptiles being collected all over Asia and being shipped to the United States uh, for pets. And there's no one doing any really deep on-the-ground studies in Asia to find out what the ramifications, what the ramifications of this are going to be, China has actually just put a uh, proposal on the CITES uh, for this convention to try and get these meats onto the endangered list, so they can be regulated and at least uh, monitored. The trade, because right now the reptile trade is fairly unmonitored, and that that's a big problem. As and, as well as the bird trade, and and, it, and as you were saying, it doesn't even. Really, we're not taking into consideration when we're talking about vilifying particular populations, you know, our own U.S. Fish and Wildlife and our own wildlife services killing millions of animals a year on public tax dollars. So it's not just China, and CITES has a whole lot on the table to talk about regulating trade, as we talked about in the beginning of this program. It is about trade, but it needs to shift to be about conservation. So, Tim, tell us some of the exciting things that you do see coming out of China. The millennials, the change in economic status, travel, tourism. There's, yes, it's a closed country, and, you know, the government is questionable, but that doesn't necessarily, like here in the U.S. or any other country, represent the mind of the majority of the people. Give us a little more on that. There's definitely a shift in the mindset, especially with the millennials and these, these new billionaires across, across China. Um, you may well know of uh, people like Jack Ma and Pony Pa. Uh, Jack Ma is the CEO of Alibaba, one of the richest companies in the world. And he's also one of the largest philanthropists in the world. Uh, he donates $3.5 billion in the last uh, few years to mainly humanitarian, but some wildlife efforts as well. Then you've got companies like Tencent. Uh, Tencent is a powerhouse in the world that many people don't even know of. They, they own WeChat. WeChat is the equivalent of uh, WhatsApp and Facebook on steroids. 
and Tencent is now working very closely with the Kenya Wildlife Service. They now are working with the Nature Conservancy. They have a Nature Conservancy office in China, which uh, the Tencent CEO, Pony Pa, is actually on the board of directors. Uh, they've spent millions and millions of dollars in Kenya alone and working with Save the Elton Foundation, who you, you all know very well. So you have this group of billionaires that are trying to give away their money, but it's very difficult, actually, in China to give away your money, especially to a foreign NGO. That's, that's a governmental thing. You know, when you mention the communist government, it's easy to, for these guys to want to give away their money, but it's very difficult to give it to uh, international NGOs. So now you have this, this new generation of uh, new NGOs springing up in China. Um, you, you've had NGOs there, uh, international NGOs there for years. The Jane Goodall Institute has had a foothold. You know, they've got 300 plus chapters across China. Uh, but now you have NGOs like this, uh, the Blue Sky uh, Rescue NGO, and they've got like 30,000 or more uh, active supporters. And what they do is they go and they do international uh, aid rescue, mostly in disaster zones. They've, done, they've been to uh, Myanmar, uh, Japan, uh, and now they're actually getting into uh, wildlife efforts in Africa and conservation efforts in Africa where they're working with rangers in six or seven different countries now in Africa, uh, supporting them not only financially but sending their experienced uh, medics and vets down there to work with these rangers in Africa. There's a new generation of millennials that are shifting their trends in buying, and they're focusing more on these uh, socially conscious companies and corporations like, for instance, Tencent and Alibaba. And we're seeing this buying, this shift in buying power, which illustrates that the younger Chinese are actually really concerned. And part of that is because of their own environment has been so you know, brutalized with industry in the last couple of decades or the last 40 years with their industrial revolution and the air pollution and everything else. But meanwhile, you've got this expansion of tourism. You've got Chinese tourists now all over the world because they have more money, uh, more pocket change, more throwaway money to go traveling, which I think is fantastic because this once closed nation now has a whole generation of young people traveling to Africa and America and they're seeing things. They're, they're opening their eyes to things they had not experienced before because remember, they don't have Facebook in China. They don't have Google even in China. So they have kind of limited resources when it comes to what's going on in the rest of the world because everything, all the information coming through China is so heavily censored. But that's starting to change now that we have so many Chinese expats living around the world and so many Chinese travelers who are now signing up for Facebook with all their traveling in America or, or uh, Africa, uh, that they're becoming much, much more aware. So I think what we really need to do is we really need to engage these folks on a deeper level, uh, on, on a more holistic level where we're actually working together rather than pointing fingers. Because like I said earlier, you know, if you want to talk about sheer numbers, we could talk about the reptile trade in the United States and where all those animals are coming from. They're coming from China, they're coming from Africa, they're coming from uh, South America. And we are, you know, in the U.S. pilfering the world's reptiles just for pets. Well, here in the U.S. and elsewhere in the world, we're pilfering the life out of Earth. So that's what 
this program and upcoming programs and our Wild Eyes Revolution and the Wild Eyes Observers Societies are going to be bringing us the news. This is a really critical uh, going on. It's an important convention. It's bringing together uh, major data research from all sorts of conventions that have been leading up to this. So it's time to wrap our heads around reality and accept it and get moving on doing things differently. The Wild Eyes Revolution has brought together decades of combined experiences from conservation on the ground to real-life encounters to you, our audience. I can tell you it's buzzing here at Our Wild World and the headquarters and all across the world, and we will feel the effects of the decisions made at this COP17 for years to come. So, unfortunately, we're out of time. Thank you, Tim, for that enlightening uh, insight into China, and thank you, Nick, for giving us a little of the background and together all these things that are at play. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me on. Let's let's engage and work together. Well, we are working together because you are part of the team as Nick and Kathy and Nigel. So uh, that's it for today. Uh, stay tuned as we bring to you direct from CITES the decisions being made for, mute, for, for the future of much of the wild world and life as we know it. Thank you. This is Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 